Hey everyone, welcome to the 48th episode of Baseline Intelligence, the podcast designed to make you a better tennis player and a smarter athlete. I'm your host, Jonathan Stokey. Today's guest is Mark Gellard. Mark is coaching Magna Lynette, who is currently ranked 23rd in singles on the WTA Tour. Magna is having one of the best seasons of her career, having reached the semifinals of the 2023 Australian Open in singles and the quarterfinals of the U.S. Open in doubles. On today's episode, we discuss how to avoid a second set letdown, his basic mantras for solid tennis, and what can make the difference in a close doubles match. So sit back, relax, and prepare to become a smarter tennis player. All right, Mark, welcome to the pod. Hey, thanks so much for having me, Jonathan. Really excited to be here. Yeah, man, appreciate you making time. You're coming from Beijing right now. Uh, you and Magda just wrapped up a tournament where she reached the round of 16 in singles and lost last night in the semifinals at doubles. To start off for the listener, can you just kind of walk us through what a normal tournament day might look like from warm-up, eating, match play, kind of reviewing a match? What does a normal day at a, at a WTA event look like? Well, it's a good question, but it's also a tough one to answer because every day is so different. You know, yesterday was was doubles. We played not before 12.30 in the afternoon. So we woke up um, about 7.30, 8 o'clock, um, get some breakfast, head into the site for about 10 so she can start her pre-match warm-up in the gym. It takes her about 45 minutes. And then we get on court with our doubles partner yesterday, Peyton Stearns, uh, for about 30 minutes of hitting. And we, we try to get in there so that we're on center court to warm up so that we get a feeling of that court, the speed, the ball height, things like that. Uh, and then play the match. And then um, obviously it didn't go as we'd hoped yesterday. Um, but then get into the gym, stretch uh, on the bike for a couple of minutes, cool down, stretch, eat. And we, we got out of there pretty quick yesterday, back to the hotel, packed, jumped on a train to Zhengzhou where we are right now. Um, and for the listeners, it's good that you can't see how bad I look right now. But we um, we uh, we got into Zhengzhou late last night, and uh, slightly later start this morning, we'll get on court for a day of practice today. So there won't be any matches today. So this is more of a, a typical practice day where we'll head into site. Same thing, going through the warm up in the gym, and then get on court at twelve o'clock, and we'll do an hour and a half today. We like to try and get a ninety minute session in. So a combination of hitting drills, feeding points. And then, and then grab some food and, and head out of there. And then we'll probably, as a team tonight, sit down and, and watch a little bit of match video from last week and a little bit of opponent video for the because we know the draw. So we're playing Petra Martic on Tuesday. So we know who we're playing. So we're going to try and put together a strategy that um, is best suited to, to give us a good chance in that match. That's funny. I was just going to ask you how much you go over a specific game plan for each opponent what that looks like. Is it very opponent-based? Is it focused on what Magda does best and then how much you use video? So like what kind of things will you look at? Will you look at the opponent's past matches? Will you kind of look at Magda's past matches to see what's been working? What does that look like? So for me, it's, it's very different depending on which player you work with. Right now with Magda, I've, I've sort of taken a different strategy the last sort of year, which seems to have been better, but could be also coincidence. The first thing I'll do is I'll look at the opponent and I'll look at her results over the last six months. I'd like to see if I can find any patterns. For example, does she struggle with left-handed players or big hitters or consistent players or players that are ranked higher than her or lower than her? So that gives me an idea of what kind of game style she prefers to play against. 
Um, if she does well against better ranked players, it tells me she prefers it. The pressure is off in those matches, so she prefers to be the underdog. So I'd like to get a feel of just a little bit of a feel for her. And then I'll try to find a match where she played someone that has a similar game style to Magda. So for example, there's no point in me watching her when she lost to Tatiana Maria or beat Tatiana Maria a month ago because Tatiana slices forehands and backhands. There's also no point in me watching her play a match where she beat or she lost to Sabalenka because we don't hit that kind of a big ball. So try to find something there. I'll watch a set and a half of a match, something like that. And then Ian, who also helps me with Magda and Hughes, he will sit down with me. We'll come up with a couple of areas that we feel that we can ex expose. And then together with Magda, we'll sit down the night before the match typically and go over two or three points at the absolute most. Uh, and that's, I think, a big, you know, it's an important thing that a lot of coaches, I feel, try to give too many pointers. The, the reality is you are what you are. They are what they are. And now you've got to come up with something that might give you a slight advantage in a certain moment. And that's about it. So we try to keep it very simple because for me, the work for the match is going to be done today. So I know what Petra's strengths and weaknesses are. We've played her a lot of times. I know her well. She's a great player. So in the practice today, we'll set it up the practice in a way that uh, she's going to see a similar ball to what she would see with Petra. She'll, we'll go over some, some plays that if she does this, we need to do that kind of thing. But I think at the moment, uh, good coaches... Um, also know when to get out of the way a little bit. And right now, we're, we're kind of playing good tennis right now. We've had a good couple of weeks of tennis. We made the final in Guangzhou. Good good week in US Open, even though it was only second round. Um, but we've had a good week, good week last week in um, Beijing, where we were. Um, had a couple of good wins there in singles and doubles. So we're sort of, we're playing well. So I always feel now it's an important time for me to get out of the way and not mess that up. Will you watch video after a match when, when do you kind of analyze a match after the fact like will you after a tournament go back and watch some things that magna did well or will you watch it with her that night and kind of highlight things she's done well or do you just kind of not watch matches kind of after and you just give her time to breathe you know in, a, in an absolute ideal world i would love for magda to say mark i want to watch that match but the reality is is like pulling teeth like she to try to get most of these girls to watch their matches is really difficult and i can tell you that categorically from talking to other coaches obviously there's a there's some that do and they like to do it but most of them typically don't um, I like to watch uh, not that same day especially after a loss because it still hurts me too much there's too much emotion so you watch it through tinted glasses a little bit when you have a couple couple days after the match where you can sort of be a little bit more objective and say okay you know, that was not a bad point from us. It was actually a good point from the other girl. So you, you get a little bit more perspective. So I will watch it today. What Petra? I will actually watch today Petra's last match with Magda, which was in Indian Wells two years ago. I'll also watch today Petra's match from last week because she lost to Coco Goff in three sets. She's playing very well. So I want to see what we've done well against her in the past that worked when we beat her. And I also want to see why she had such a good match with Coco this week, what she was doing well. I know she has a good serve, for example. So we're going we're gonna to have a few points and then I'll try to get a, a, an absolute maximum of a 10 to 15 minute video put together for Magda to watch, where it will be just highlights or low lights or just patterns of play that work so that when we sit down and go over our pre-match game plan, we have a few pointers that we can illustrate with video. I want to go back to what you said about getting out of the way 
because Magda's playing well, now you can coach all the time. You know, when she's on your side of the net, you can be talking to her. When she's on the far side, maybe you're giving her a signal or whatever. How has that been for you? You know, the new rules this year is... Is that something that's a challenge for you? I mean, I know a lot of coaching already kind of happened a little bit, but but how has that worked out for you? And how do you do that now that she's playing well? For me, I, I mean, I think coaching in tennis is, is the right way to go. I know even I, I noticed on the ITF website this week that some of the ITF tournaments have a, a asterisk next to them saying coaching trial because they're also using that on the ITF tour. So we're allowed off-court coaching only from designated seats. She can come to us if the opponent takes an injury timeout or goes for the toilet break Magda can actually walk over and stand near us so we can almost have a a, convers- a proper conversation um I do prefer I did prefer when we were allowed on court coaching which was before COVID once a set you could get on the court and actually discuss some things with her they removed that for COVID and kind of never brought it back which was disappointing but also surprised me how many coaches and players were against on court coaching that was a shock to me I I, I didn't quite understand that I feel like as a coach, I want to maximize my value to Magda and she wants to get her maximum value she can out of me since she's paying me every week. So it didn't make sense that a lot of the coaches were against it. I think that's a little bit of a, of a, a strange way to see things, but it is what it is. So now we have we can use some very, you know, we can speak, but, you know, last week in Beijing, for example, we played Azarenka in the first round. It's on center court. It's very hard to communicate because you the, you're so far away. Even when you're on the front row, she's saying to me, I can't hear you. I can't hear you. And then you get, you know, you start trying to shout down at her. And she says, well, why are you shouting at me? So well, you said you couldn't hear me. So you're, you're in a tough situation there. It's, um, but you can get a few things across here and there, which is helpful. But most of the time during a match, it's going to be reinforcements. Um, trying not to be too, ta- uh, too technical. Um, I think that's a mistake a lot of coaches make. You're not going to change you're not going to change technique in a match and you also don't want to be thinking about technique in a match, right? You want to be thinking about tactics. Um, so it might be at the most the occasional reminder to keep the ball toss high, but um, yeah, I don't, I'm not a coach that believes you can do too much technical stuff during a match. So just keeping it really simple um, and, and a lot of positive reinforcement. That's, that's really key. Speaking of that, as a rank of match, I think it was five, seven, six, one, six, two, and you obviously don't have to give us the specifics, but I'm always curious how a match like that can flip. You know, they play a very competitive set and Magda loses it and then kind of rolls in the last two. So is that a tactical change? Is that a physical change? Like what kind of changes in a match like that? That's a good question. We played her this year in Miami and we beat her in three sets. It was a long, tough match. And then we went to Canada and um, without making an excuse, we lost 6-3-6 love, but there were certain, some some personal issues made that had been experienced in that time that definitely had an effect on that match, but it, it's not taking anything away from Victoria. Um, but we, So we knew what we were gonna, had to expect playing Victoria. We played her twice this year. For me, she's probably top three or four best competitors on the tour. And that's a tough thing with her. Like Even if she's playing poorly you still know it's going to be tough because she's going to compete like hell. So it's a tough matchup. I, I just think she's one of the toughest players to play. Um, but what I did feel is that we have the advantage on the physical side. So I, I made sure that Magda with, with Ian, we talked to her and said, listen, let's make sure win or lose that first set, it lasts an hour. Let's just make her life miserable for one hour. And even if she wins the set, I feel like we're going to have a shot. 
and unfortunately we didn't win the set, but it was about 56 minute first set. So we kind of had accomplished what we set out to do. And I always feel that at the start of the second set, there's a really important dynamic for about 15 minutes where that's where the match is going to be then won or lost in the first 15 minutes of the second set. Because we're going to throw everything we've got at her now and she's going to put up her best defense to try and protect her lead. And we came out and we started real strong and got a lead and then I just felt that the, the physicality started to be a factor and uh, that was, um, yeah, at the end of the match, I think that was where we won it based on, on movement and physicality. I hear a lot of players, they kind of say they have a second set let down or... It can be either way. They either won the first set and they relax or they lost the close first set and they're moping about it. Do you have any advice on how to get someone kind of locked in? Like you said, both players were kind of looking at the beginning of that second set as a maybe like a little bit of a turning point. Do you have any good advice for that? For me, one thing with majors I do, and it's um, somewhat, you know, you can argue it's not it's not real sporting, but to take a, a quick toilet break something like that, change your clothes and go out with the mentality that the match is starting again because a one set lead, you haven't achieved anything. You are halfway there, but you both, both you and the opponent have to win that next set. They need to win it to stay alive and you need to win it to win the match. So I think sometimes there's a tendency to come out and be a little bit protective of the lead. We typically can get a little bit defensive of our lead rather than going out and trying to extend. And I think that comes a lot into the player's game style and personality where you know you, you want to make sure you're not playing with something to lose you keep playing to win and I think that just being real conscious of the fact that when you when you have a lead of a set that's the time where you you know your opponent's going to play their best and I think that's really important because many people think oh, I've got them now or I've got that set lead maybe if I can come out after winning that set and get up 1-0 or 2-1 that's really really important um, we've, we, we had a match this year in, in Cincinnati where we played Ann Lee, won the first set six love, great set of tennis, just spotless tennis and came out at the start of the second and I think we got broken in the second game and all of a sudden that first set is completely forgotten. You know, next thing you know, we're shaking hands as a loser and you're going, how did that happen? That match turned around real quick because I think we, we, you know, it's just such an important moment. You have to expect for those next 10 or 15 minutes that those players are going to give everything they've got. And if you can kind of really uh, put out the... Lock, lock, I like to tell Magda to lock up the doors a little bit there and say, okay, if you want to get a lead on me here, you're going to have to do everything great and I'm not going to miss. I think that's really demoralizing for opponent when they're already a set down and they're having to work seven, eight, nine minutes to win a game. That's really tough. I can't remember what coach I heard this from, but they said basically you're, you're playing a game to two. And if you had a 1-0 lead, would you be like, oh, my God, like I've got this in the bag, like I'm up 1-0. And if you were down, you wouldn't be like, oh, my God, what a huge hole. You, you just it's a set. And a lot of people I kind of get on players or coaches when they say, oh, that person is winning 6-4. I'm like, they're leading 6-4. They haven't leading. won anything yet. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. hundred percent. It's such a mistake. And I think it, it happens more at sort of the junior levels and the, and, the, and the younger players coming up. Now, obviously, what happened with Vika this week, she's one of the most experienced players. Um, I do think that that's just also, there's, a, there's the two sides, there's the physical letdown and the mental letdown because, you know, it had been so tight for 40 minutes where it was just neck and neck and they were a lot of juice games. And mentally, that wears you out. When you go out, you know, I think we lost four juice games or something. 
So Vika had spent a lot of mental energy to beat us. And credit to her, that's why she won the set. But then we we knew that there would might be the best time to get her would be at the start of the second, which we were we were able to get a good start. Because I think if you go down early in that second, it's a completely different match and it can be seven five, six two for her. So um yeah, it's it's just small margins, really small margins. Confidence is huge, and I'm always stunned when I look at the win-loss records of these top players. And Magda, at least the WTA website, she's 25th in the world currently, and it says she has a singles record of 25 and 22 on the year. So how do you keep confidence and belief high in your player when almost a 500 record means she's literally one of the best players in the world? Yeah, it's not easy. I mean... We played two weeks ago in Guangzhou. We made the final in Guangzhou. Had a great week. Get to the final. And that's one of the biggest butt whippings we've ever had. And we lost 6-2, 6-love. Or 6-love, 6-2 to Siyu Wang. It was, you know, it was tough. And Magda said, Mark, I haven't won a tournament for three years or so. I feel like I'm playing great. I got whooped here. It's it's tough. Um, It's tough to keep the morale. But then you have to also remember that you're ranked 20 three in the world. I think we'll move back up to 23 or 24 in the world. Uh, this year made a semi-final of Australia. You know, she's had a good year or actually she's had a great year, if I'm honest with you, for her for her career in general. This has been by far the best. So it's it for, for the amateur player or the juniors or the up-and-coming pro players, the reality is, you, you know, it's so cliche, but you're not going to win much. You're going to, if you can be at a 500, you're doing great. And it's the same in a match. If you can win 55% of the points you play in a match, you're going to win 6-3, 6-3 at 55%. So it's so, the margins are so small. Um, and I think for us, keeping the, the focus more on the, it's again, it's cliche, keeping the focus on the process and saying, did we play better? Are we a better player today than we were a week ago? And I think that's really important that people have that as a, because what's tough as a tennis player as well is, most people, when we're in different countries, Magda will get media requests or fan requests and they'll, oh, that's Magda, you play tennis. And she says, no, I'm Magda Lynette. I, 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 I'm not a tennis player. I, I play tennis, that's my job, but I'm not a tennis player. That's not who I am. So she has to, she, you have to separate what you do from who you are because I don't think most people go to the, to the barbecue in their town and say, oh, I'm the dentist. No, I'm John, I... You know what I mean? It's it's really important to separate what you do from who you are, and that helps keep a little bit of perspective on the situation. I'm a total degenerate, and I was Googling you and researching you, and I was reading an article that you posted on LinkedIn from like 2020. And just speaking of confidence, you said every practice should have concentration, confidence, motivation, and emotional control as elements of a practice. And I know that was like three years ago and you've done a lot since then, but I was kind of wondering why those four things kind of stood out to you as something that you would apply to a practice and how people can integrate that into their daily work. Yeah, I, I talk a lot of crap. I don't know what I was going on about that, to be honest with you. Um, <laughs> I told you, totally totally degenerate over here. Like I'm looking at everything no, you've ever no, done. I'm, ha- I'm happy someone watched it. I don't know what I was going on about. No, I think for me, it's important to go through to practice different emotions in practice and be in different situations, whether you're practicing being up, being down, being even. Um, I think that something that we've worked on over the last year, which has been really sort of an important factor for Magda is having some basic mantras. And again, I hate these cliches, but for example, one of the, Ian has come in and helped us 
this last year. One of the things that Magda we're really trying to emphasize is, you know, attack with your feet, defend with your hands. Okay, that's an important thing to remember. An another really important thing was, and, and this is going to sound really simple, but it's want the ball. So you see, you know, the good players, when they hit a shot, they're always looking to see where it's going to come back and expecting where it's going to come back. The not so uh, good players, I should say, they hit a shot with the hopes it's not going to come back, with the hopes it's going to be a winner or a forced error. So always want the ball back. Always have a plus one. And I don't mean like you see these videos on YouTube of serve plus one, return plus one. I mean always. So there's always my approach is to get me a put away volley. My forehand cross is because I want the ball back to do this with the next shot. So you're always a step or two ahead, kind of like a snooker player or a chess player. These things are really important for Magda this year and have been really helpful in getting her to sort of start thinking the right way. But we, we yeah, I don't know what I was going on about in that video, if I'm honest. I, I need to see that video again to see what I'm going, yeah. what context I'm talking about. But I'm really happy you watched it. I appreciate that. Yeah, man, I'm, I'm all into it. And then, so, so would you say it's fair almost like winners are almost accidental? Like if she hits an approach shot winner, she's picked a big target and you go, oh, wow, I hit that a little better. It didn't come back. 100%. She, uh, what we're always trying to sort of encourage is this feeling that of a surprise when the ball doesn't come back rather than expecting it not to come back. Um, and it's always this point, want the ball back, want the ball back, you know. And so even like yesterday in the doubles, it was a disappointing loss. But the times where we made mistakes was where we would cross and on a, on a net volley and hit a volley expecting that we were going to finish that volley. And then the, the opponents happened to react the ball back and we were surprised out of position and confused how we've now lost that point. Whereas when she did a good job, it would be crossing, hitting that volley and, and almost wanting, come on, give it back to me again. I want to hit another ball. And that's a really important mentality to have is, is sort of, I think, 70% of tennis ends in an error, not in a winner. So... I'm curious, actually, you just mentioned that doubles match. I know singles is obviously what she's best at, but she's also, I think, around 50 in the world in doubles. Do you have anything, generally speaking, that you feel like tips the scales in a doubles match? You know, they lost five and four. Is there a general thing for a listener out there that plays doubles? Like, why, why do you lose that five and four versus winning the five and four? What does that come down to? Yeah, it's a really, it's a great question. I think, you know, for, for me in general, the last... I, what I will say is, and this a lot of people won't like this, is that the, the best doubles players in the world are the best singles players. That's the reality of it. Now, yesterday, I say that and I look like a fool now because yesterday we lost to two doubles players. And they're really great doubles players who understand doubles much better than we did. They knew where to stand, where to cover. And I think those things yesterday hurt us. In general, I feel like the singles players just hit such a better quality ball. Their serve and return, their great ground strokes are just of a higher level. I think we lost four or five juice points yesterday out of six. So that was obviously a huge turning point. We had 4-3 with a break, 40 love, and lost the game. And that was a really poor game to lose. The way we lost it was just a lack of discipline. Um, I think a really important thing a lot of players that I'm surprised don't don't know with the doubles is to make sure that when you're returning if your opponents are playing in an I formation is that 80 to 90 percent of the time you want to be returning down the line 
if 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 you're playing I formation, if the if the serving team is playing I formation, return down the line because there is no finishing volley. So if the opponent goes that way, there's no simple finishing put away volley for them. But if you go cross court, the angles and the geometry of the court mean that you probably won't have a touch on that. They have a very simple volley, um, and that was something yesterday for whatever reason. Um, both Magda and Peyton both went cross court and missed two returns. So it was uh, a little bit of lack of discipline there yesterday, probably some bad coaching, um, didn't get the job done. But um, I think that's a really important concept for, for and, and, and then what they did so well, and I give them a lot of respect that the opponents just did, they knew what they can and what they can't do. And that's really important because yesterday, I think we got into a point where we were starting to try and do things that maybe weren't natural to us. So, you know, Peyton Stearns has one of the best forehands in the women's tour. She's got a beautiful forehand. And she starts maybe going to try and be a little bit cute with it. And Magda has very good hands and good lobs, but not a big hitter. And we start trying to hit through them. And so we kind of got lost a little bit on what we were trying to do. Um, but I think also a really important last thing is make sure when you're choosing your partner that you choose someone. I, I feel a little bit especially in women's doubles, you almost want to play like volleyball style. You need a, a hitter and you need someone to set you up. And I think yesterday we ran into a little bit of a situation where we had two good setters, but nobody that could really be a finishing shot at the net, which was, um, you know, but we had a great week. So it was maybe just yesterday was an off day, but um, I think important for doubles. And I also recommend that anyone that plays doubles uh, spends time... And, and, and researchers and watches a little bit of Louis Caillet's um, work. Louis is a Canadian coach who, who's done a lot of double special, a lot of double specialist work, and he does some really excellent videos that will outline some of those principles. We're going to finish up with a couple Instagram questions. I put a story up today. People, these are from followers that want your knowledge and insight. Uh, the first one here is you get to see a lot of the best players in the world every week. Are there any common baseline tactics or themes that you see most of the women out there using? Well, the first one is, I don't, they've mentioned the women at the end. The men, for certain, is just all about the forehand and surf. That's, that's a huge thing with them. It's, it's so much forehand-based. The women, um, definitely, uh, as an overall strategy, you would say that most women have... It's funny, when you talk to coaches, sometimes you'll ask them, hey, you've played this girl, can you give me some info on her? The game plan that you usually get back is so generic and could be applied to every single female player on the tour. And I'll tell you, it goes like this. Yeah, they're a really good player. They don't move great. Their backhand's much stronger than their forehand, and you can really attack their second serve. Oh, and they don't move that well forwards and backwards, so bring them in and try and make them volley. That's the, the, the game plan on pretty much anyone. And then that's why when you run into an Ash Barty or an Iga Swiatek, you have such problems like we got pasted this week by Iga and we didn't play poorly, but it's just she she takes away all those four things. She has an excellent volley and net game and moves forwards as well as she moves side to side. She has a very effective kick serve. Um, you know, her backhand and forehand, I mean, it's basically pick your poison because of her backhand, she can put it on a dime anywhere on the court and you don't know where she's hitting and her forehand is so heavy and because of the way she hits her forehand the grip and the and the biomechanics of it it's impossible to read if she's going to go cross court down the line inside in inside out it's so funny you said that at duke 
you know, a very common thing in college, at least on the men's side, was coaches call each other for notes. Oh, you just played Georgia Tech. Can you can you send me your notes? And I used to get them, and it was almost identical to what you said. Ah, uh, attackable second serve. A lot of times with the guys, it was big forehand, but will spray if you attack it. And I, I go through it. I'm like, 95% of these players. I mean, I know that there's not that many different styles, but I was like, there's not a lot of there's not a lot of thought going into these. Like, what what is this whole all about? Like, why am I even going through the process? And that's kind of why I got to the point of of trying to just sort of not, you know, you have one or two people that might give you some real good insights, but in general, I try to do most of my own research. For example, you know, this week with Petra, Petra has an excellent, one of the best sliced backhands on the top. What I would want to know as a coach now is, does she hit that sliced backhand to begin the match? And if it's not working, does she start to hit the backhand? Or does she hit her backhand and when she gets nervous or when she feels that that's not working, she goes to the slice. I want to know what one she, she does first and which one she resorts to if it's not working. Do you know what I mean? So Victoria Golubic has a beautiful slice backhand as well that we know. She will start off hitting her backhand. She wants to drive her one-handed backhand from what I've seen. And when she has uh, pressure or it's maybe not working, then she'll start using her slice as a secondary strategy. So you want to know what is their preference? What do they go to as a secondary strategy? I love that. Each player is different. And this person wanted to know, were there any common areas that you see that kind of separate the good players from the great or the elite? Good question. I think I would I would say that the number one factor for me is that they're unconditional competitors. That's number one. That means doesn't matter if we're in match or practice in the first round or a final against the number one or the number 1,000. Break point up, break point down. They are unconditionally competitive. So they, they want to win every single point, every single match, every single day. I think on the women's tour, there's less than five. I, I, I really believe that. And, I, and I'm not saying that in a, you know, a negative way. I'm just saying that it's such a unique talent. And you could probably argue the only person in the world that plays every point the same way is Rafa. He's the only one. Six love, five love, 40 love. He's not going to go. Most people go, I'm going to try for an ace here. I'm going to hit an ace or I'm going to serve and vote. No, he's going to slide it out wide and he's going to run around and grind a point out at that score. That's unconditionally competitive. The, the, the surroundings, the environment, the score didn't affect him. There's really, I mean, ego for me would probably be the closest thing to that on the women's side. And we witnessed that this week. I think there's very few that are unconditionally competitive. And um, that's a skill that we definitely have to improve and work on. And we have improved. But I think that would be the most important um, skill. And then you can factor in all the other things. Their physicality, their talent, their work ethic, their intensity, all those other things. But I think if you look at it from just an absolute basic perspective, are they unconditionally competitive? I think that that's a really important skill. This person wanted to know, what is the best coaching advice you've ever received? Um, that's a really good question. I should have been more prepared. I would say that probably somebody told me very early on, don't um, don't push yourself into a corner. You know, Don't make threats that you can't uh, follow through on or, or don't make promises you can't deliver. From on the tour... And, and this is probably my biggest weakness as a coach, which is trying to stay emotionally stable because I'm, I'm emotional and I, I live and die these matches with the players. So it's, 
it's really hard for me to say that I've listened to that advice, but it is good advice. It's to try and be subjective, not let yourself get too emotional and caught up in the moment. Um, but when you're traveling like we do 40 weeks a year and you're invested in everything you've got into the project as well, it's, it's not easy. It's, um, it's, uh, it's a hard skill to master, which I'm a long way from doing. And last question, as always, what is your best advice for the 4.0 adult player? I think that it's really important that you have a clear identity on the court. I think that that's really important. I think a lot of players, especially at the 4-0, the easy thing to do is to go watch all the videos out online on YouTube, get loads of different... I find One of the things I found with players at that level is they want advice from everyone, which is admirable because they want to improve. But the, find somebody or find a way of playing that you believe in that gives you enjoyment. You've got to enjoy that way of playing. You've got to embrace it and, and take a game plan that works for you and work on improving and building that identity as you go. If you want to be a grinder, be great. Be a grinder then. Be fit. Um, you know, Work on those things, those assets and attributes you need for that. Um, but I think that it's really important not to, even as a pro player, it's important to get advice, but it's also important that too much, too much advice you know, um, can be detrimental it's that paralysis by analysis analogy uh nothing more i love than than talking to coaches who are into it and before the show you actually mentioned you have a podcast which i wasn't aware of so can you kind of let us all know the name of that and, and where we can find that yeah uh i started this podcast five or six months ago just diary of a professional tennis coach you can find it on all the major acast uh, spotify things like that uh, we, it's just a, a fun podcast where we talk about the things that are going on week to week on the tour and try to provide a few insights. So we're, we're happy if anyone likes to, uh, to join us and listen, um, they can be, it can be found online. Awesome, man. I'll give that a listen. I'll put a link in the show notes, but, uh, thanks again. Like I said, you literally got off the train last night. I messaged you on Instagram. You were nice enough to respond and, and do this pretty quickly. So thanks again for your time. No problem. Thanks, John. Thank you, everyone, for listening, and I uh, hope, uh, hope to see some people out of the tournament soon. Thanks again. All right, I want to thank Mark for coming on the show. I love when a coach is willing to give us really good detail on their player in the process, and I learned a ton as a coach just from his relationship with Magna, how they communicate, and how they go about things. One quick thing he said that's fantastic was to return down the line in doubles when teams go against you in the I formation. Not only is it easier to get the ball past them, but they have no angle to finish that volley, so keep that in mind. But the main thing I took from this episode, and it's a consistent theme here, is he talked about being an unconditional competitor. So learn how to compete when you don't feel great with your game, when you're playing a friend or someone you dislike, when the weather is difficult, when the balls are dead. Take pride in the fact that you compete no matter what and watch your average level improve. I wanna thank you all for listening. I know there are a lot of podcasts out there, and I'm grateful you chose to join me today. I'm motivated to evolve and improve, so please subscribe if you enjoyed the episode and leave a comment or review so we keep getting better every week. For more, check out my Instagram at Stokey Tennis for clips from these podcasts, as well as general drills and tips to help your tennis game. Thanks for listening. I hope you just improved in tennis without even hitting a ball.